Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, I think for the first time in Australia, we've finally got a comprehensive fix on the owned media sector. That is the value of the media assets and channels that brands own or control, like email, apps, e-commerce, websites, call centers, catalogs, and retail stores, and some more. For more than a decade, the mantra from marketing teams, content companies, agencies, and corporate affairs types has been about working the trinity of owned, earned, and paid media harder and smarter. Paid media, aka advertising, and earned media, which includes editorial coverage, are relatively buttoned down, but owned media has been hard to define and value until now. According to a new report from Sonder, owned media is worth $3.9 billion in commercial potential, and the report correctly points out that although supermarket retail media initiatives have nabbed all the attention and headlines, Guilty your honour here at MI3, it's less than a third of the total market for owned media. So, to unpack the trends, emerging players and growth categories in owned media for 2023, we have the report's authors and co-founders of media valuation firm Sonder, Jonathan Hopkins and Angus Fraser on the mics. Welcome, gents. Um, Finally, we have some data on this much-talked-about but hard-to-nail industry. I'm really interested in this one. Let's get straight to it. Um, Jonathan, you say in the report, Uh, that toy promotions on the back of cereal packets used to define what owned media was about, but it's far more vast and complex today, and that's true. So I guess what is owned media, Jonathan? What are the biggest macro themes to come out of your analysis of the sector? And there's a few myths and misconceptions, I think, that need addressing, like retail aggregators versus grocery and liquor, and we'll get to that in a moment. But just overall, give us the what the hell is owned media, and well done for actually putting some numbers and some analysis on this. I've been trying to do this for about 15 years. Yes, exactly. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, we found that the owned media market in Australia is worth a whopping $3.9 billion in commercial potential. And whilst everybody's talking about retail media and the players within that, so your grocery, your liquors, so your Woolworths, Coles, Endeavour, and also Amazon, which gets a lot of the headlines, Our report actually found that the owned media opportunity is far from limited to those handful of retailers and grocers. And in actual fact, the grocery and liquor category represents just 26% of the total market revenue. So for any organization that attracts a significant audience and has a media ecosystem in place, the opportunities for leveraging that audience with partners is sizable. So if you look at the telco category, the finance category, the petrol convenience and the travel category, and then you add in the shopping centers and utilities as well, collectively they represent about 43% of that 3.9 billion. So pretty substantial. Right. And one of the surprising things that we found in the report was that what we call retail aggregators, which are those retailers that represent multiple brands, represent the largest category at $1.2 billion. And it's also the category with most opportunity for growth. So there's a high number of businesses yet to exploit um, the full potential. So if you think about department stores, home electronics, sport and leisure, 
all the beauty brands um, and the beauty department stores, pet care and pharmacies. It's a really large category and huge potential and, and massively underdeveloped. In that retail aggregator sector, we are talking, as you say, about the JB Hi-Fi's, the big W's, the David Jones. That's what we're talking about there in retail aggregators, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the other interesting thing that came out of the report is that bricks and mortar businesses are best placed for own media leverage, primarily due to their in-store media, such as point of sale, posters and screens, which contribute about 32% to the total owned media market. So there's been this rush to commercialize websites first because it's familiar and the systems might already be in place. However, you know, display and search contribute just about just under 10% of total owned media market revenue. So those bricks and mortar businesses are, are well placed. That's advertising inventory then you're saying there, Jonathan. Is that ad inventory you're talking about there on the sites that they're selling to other brands? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the other interesting find is that there's this misconception amongst retailers that trade funding from partners and suppliers is capped out through their trade marketing budgets. However, um, the report found that that view invariably overlooks the media channels which are undervalued or not priced correctly and the opportunities to build appealing new channels like digital screens and networks which attract more advertisers and there's that, you know, marketing budgets as well as trade marketing budgets. So there's, there's huge growth potential within the, within the sector. We'll get to the nine key sectors um, that you identify and dissect from finance and telcos to travel and finance. But first, uh, Angus and Jonathan, a bit of FOMO. You, you, the other interesting thing you've done is you've listed the, the key brands to watch in this industry uh, by the different categories and who the current market leaders are. Who are they? Who are the top players in each of these categories and who are the ones to watch, gents? Um, Let's just give a bit of FOMO there on that. Sure. So, Paul, as part of this report, we wanted to quantify the the size of the market, but we also wanted to decode it as well. And part of that was about creating a positioning uh, map of all the major players out there in the market. And what we found was that the the two main quadrants were the, um, the leaders and the ones to watch. And, and you know, the leaders category, uh, you know, it's probably not too many surprises in there. We're seeing uh, the likes of Woolworths, Chemist Warehouse, Amazon and the like um, playing in that space. And these are businesses that have established, in some cases, long established owned media strategies in operation. But then when it comes to the ones to watch, uh, these are the organizations that have significant media value and significant capability, but hasn't really been untapped yet. So we've identified businesses like Vodafone, 7-Eleven, BP, JB Hi-Fi, Ampol. These are organizations that all have significant owned media value and commercial potential, but haven't really gone out to, to really realize that. Uh, opportunity yet. When you're having conversations with these companies, is it just they don't even realize it or is it just resource stretched? Typically, uh, a lot of businesses don't know the full extent of the value of their own media ecosystem. Um, so oftentimes when you when you come in and, and do an audit and understand where the value lies within a business um, in terms of owned media, that can be really enlightening uh, and it can really change the way that an organization views its own media. 
So that's often the first step in that, that sort of journey to creating a more sophisticated owned media ecosystem. But also it's about moving on from current use cases around owned media. And oftentimes owned media is used as a bit of a sweetener in a deal. It's, it's often given away to trade partners and that kind of thing without having any of the value being quantified. So the ability to quantify the value, the ability to communicate that value and then leverage that value is really important. And that comes through either in, in trade deals and trade negotiations and that kind of thing and or driving really profitable revenue by selling that media. I'm just looking at your chart, um, Angus, and down in the, the less developed quadrant, um, there's companies like you know Good Guys, Sephora, Best and Less, MasterCard, Spotlight Group, etc. What? Why are they less developed than some of the others that are, are ones to watch? Are they literally got their ground zero? There's there's not even a starting point there. Is that why you, they're down in that down in that in the less developed definition? Yeah. So based on our intel, based on our research what we've been able to observe out there and and keep in mind it it can be very difficult to get a read on any organization's media unless you're right in there and you're doing a ground up audit and valuation but based on um, the research that we've done looking at the kinds of media assets they have looking at the kinds of um, placements they've been allowing and brands leveraging some of those placements um, we just think that those are businesses that are very much have a future potential, but are perhaps you know behind the behind the market in terms of where they should be when it comes to creating more sophisticated solutions. So, just um, what are the good ones? You know, in in the, in the leaders axis or quadrant, uh, and the ones to watch, which obviously have got a little bit more potential than what just what we just talked about. What are the good ones doing uh, in owned media that? is of note and I guess is a, is a benchmark for others to look at. Yeah. I mean, there's basically three things and these three things are like a Venn diagram, you know, and, and where these three intersect is where you find the gold. Um, and the first thing is that they are using owned media to create um, really powerful, beautiful, in some cases, customer experiences via um, leveraging their data. And this one's really critical because everything a business spends in paid media and earned media is ultimately driving back to an owned channel, right? So you ensure that the um, the owned media is working as effectively and efficiently as possible, then all of your investments in paid and earned are going to work that much harder. And this is something that we're seeing the finance category doing really well. You know, they've got extensive customer data um, which they can leverage and utilize to ensure that all messaging is really relevant, timely, um, and for the right audiences. The second thing is around improving your commercial um, trading terms, and that's about really being able to accurately quantify the media value at a campaign level for supplier and vendor brands. So when you can do that, you can actually get right down to the level of um, being able to report on what media value has been provided or what media value is going to be committed into the future. And that value can then be used by trading teams um, to basically get better commercial terms in their dealings with brands and partners. And then the third area is the revenue area. And this is where we're seeing the most sophisticated players 
which is about driving really, really profitable um, revenue. And, you know, in, in owned media, we're seeing profit margins of 80 to 90 percent, which generally when you look at it across, certainly in the retail category, those profit margins are sometimes double the kind of profit margins that you would see within a product category. And it's about a thousand times the margin of publishing for the record. <laughs> yeah, it could be. And no, this it is. is something... I can promise you. Oh, it is. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your word for that. The grocery guys are obviously um, doing this and have been doing it for a while now. Um, they're establishing really professional operations. They've got the people, they've got the process, they've got the structures. And so, you know, they're essentially operating like a traditional media owner. Um, so, they're the three main areas. And I think, you know, there's, there's certainly scope for all three to be addressed by any one organization. I just want to be clear, when you talked about the first point, improved customer experiences and data via data, that is clearly something that's internal to the company. There's, there's not partners involved. They're not selling. There's, there's no revenue stream associated with that customer experience stuff, right? That's just getting better in their own channels to their existing customers. Have I got that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's about being smarter about the media assets that you have um, within your ecosystem. We certainly believe that owned media should be considered and planned before you go out and invest money in paid and earned channels because these owned assets, you know, you, they're there. You've already created them as an organization and they're available. You can deliver huge audiences through your own channels and depending on your campaign objectives, you could deliver everything that you need through your owned media. Have you seen that happen uh, so I think it really comes down to, you know, what the actual campaign objectives are. If it's about upselling, on-selling, that kind of thing, then obviously your own channels are where you're going to do that in. Right. Um, paid media could arguably just be wastage. But like I was saying, we're not anti-paid or earned media at all. Um, those things are critical for any business to grow and, and develop over time. But we just think that uh, it makes so much more sense to use what you've got first before you start going out paying for other media. Nice, some good stuff in there. Now, I mean, how about we get uh, sort of do a bit of a tour de force, really, through the key categories in owned media and where individual players and companies are at. As we've mentioned, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, supermarkets are, are not the biggest game in town. Uh, but let's break this one up. The key sectors we're going to cover in this. Um, and out of the report, which is funnily enough called Owned Media Market Report and Ranking, so it's um, very clear what, what you're doing, well done. The key categories we're going to talk about and break down a little bit and what the dynamics that are going on inside them and the companies that are doing well and uh, have, have big upside um, is what you mentioned, retail aggregators, grocery and liquor, telcos, petrol and convenience, finance, and maybe we'll get to some travel as well, see how we go with time. How about we start with that, you know, a bit more of a deep dive into the retail aggregators, which, as you mentioned earlier, is the biggest. It's bigger than grocery. Uh, $1.2 billion, I think we've got on that one uh, in your report, um, and a 31% share or thereabouts. Um, so just talk us through what the, what's going on in that category and I guess why they are less developed than grocery, even though as a category it's bigger. Yeah, I can take that one. So the category size of $1.2 billion represents a 31% market share for the retail aggregators group. And the main reason they're the number one category is because um, of the number of retail aggregators in Australia and the relative sophistication versus other categories. 
Cartology announced this year it will add Big W to its stable, which meant that they're you know, instantly claiming the number one position as the largest owned media player in the retail category. Chemist Warehouse has been the most established player in recent times, extracting really good value from its media ecosystem and also becoming a publisher with the House of Wellness platform. And just for those that don't know, I'm not across that, John, the House of Wellness. So there's a publishing platform that's it's content on being healthier. Yeah, health, yeah. so they've got an um, audio-visual platform online and also a magazine and various other content st- uh, strands that come, that come off that. Um, and they own and operate that, as far as we're aware. Right. Other players like Officeworks and Maya have a large number of vendor partners to draw from and significant physical and digital media networks. The highest-ranked digital retailer in the category is Amazon, and as we know, they're offering sophisticated digital media solutions, and they actually report their annual ad revenue at $63 million per annum. So In Australia? Yep. Yep. In Australia. However, compared to the US, um, Australian retailers have been relatively slow to develop their own media sales offerings. Um, So for the majority of retailers, owned media is still something that the merchandise team are using to sweeten a deal rather than a highly valued asset and business. So as a result, we're seeing significant room for growth as as the retailers play catch up with some of the UK and US counterparts. There's always a bit of tension now there, isn't there, between merchandise and I guess some legacy leverage and negotiation that sits in the merchandise team that sometimes might be a little hard to let go would that be a fair observation yeah it is i think it is but we're we're in the last 12 months we've seen that shift to merchandise teams either understanding the value of what they've what they've been leveraging or senior folk within the business just saying this is something we're going to go after you know make it happen between the departments and, you know, once you see the numbers, they're so compelling that it's a bit of a no-brainer. Who typically takes ownership of owned media once it's broken out and, um, you know, valued appropriately and managed accordingly? Who tends to get control? It tends to be the marketing department. They work in collaboration with merchandise and sales and category managers. But because the marketing department owned the channels, then all roads tend to lead to, to them. Um, and they want to manage sensitively the their own communications with customers as well as partner communications so yeah that's it makes sense for it to land there okay so the top five we've got as leaders in in retail aggregation is big w chemist warehouse office works Meyer, and amazon as you, as you mentioned jonathan who are the ones to watch in this category who's who looks like they they will make some moves well, yeah, there's, like I said, there's a long list of challenges to this top five as they start to get their act together and value what they have and then how to work out how to leverage it. Um, we would pull out businesses like David Jones. Um, they've had a good store refurbishment with multiple digital screens. They've got a breadth of vendors to sell and a, high, a highly desirable customer base. So they're, they're well-primed. Um, Within the home electronics sector, JB Hi-Fi have potential to extract more revenue from the market by expanding their leverage to align with those, you know, more advanced retailers. And then, you know, you can't talk about retail without talking about Bunnings, who've been fairly conservative, you know, because they're doing so well as a business. But we think they could easily 
jump into that top five by making more of their their media available to market. And then, you know, you look to the US and you see Target um, were quite pioneering and then created a sales business called Randell. Um, so they have the capacity globally and and could be, you know, one to watch in the, in Australia as well. And so what with with this category in aggregation and retail aggregators, uh, Jonathan, where are where is the low hanging fruit? Where, where's the upside here for them to start out early and get some early gains? What do you what do you think they need to do? Yeah, I think um, in store is often overlooked. You know, like I said, there seems to be this rush to digital because um, the systems are in place and it and it's easy, but it actually digital represents around ten percent of total owned media profile in terms of the value. So I think you know in store. Still emails, publishing, you know, those businesses that are still doing catalogs, be they digital or print, there's still opportunities there. Yeah, they're they're the main areas. The data smarts, having sales resource that's focused on this um, is a big opportunity um, from resource perspective. Um, And just working longer term with partners. So rather than trying to sell them space, actually sitting down and thinking about, how can you help them achieve their objectives across the year um, so that it's a triple win for the business, the partner, and the customer? Okay. And so on that, you know, you, you do also in the report talk about the sector challenges. And one of them is interesting. You've mentioned it earlier about trade funding partners being capped out in some of these, with some of these retail aggregators. But it's not the case. You, you, you think there's more there. And this is a common thing we hear a lot, right, is that the retailers um, really work their supplier base quite hard in terms of the trade funding, but there is more money that's got to come from a different bucket uh, that could go into owned media. I think that's what you're suggesting, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So the legacy model comes with legacy thinking, I guess is one way of framing it. So the that view invariably overlooks the media channels which are not being currently commercialised. So things like email and social are prime candidates. And there's these opportunities to build appealing new channels like a digital screen network, which will attract more advertisers and more revenue. So just adding a layer of sophistication, um, behaving like a media owner will generate massive um, step changes in, in revenue. And I'm assuming that the top five that you nominate is the leaders in this category. Again, Big W, Chemist, Warehouse, Office Works, Maya, Amazon, Amazon less so with, within store, obviously. But they're doing all these things you talk about now that uh, the others should be doing. They're, they're, they're pulling that off quite effectively and efficiently. Is that right? That's right, yeah. And the, other, and the others, the ones to watch, you know, will be doing it in areas for sure. Um, it's just they're not as focused on it as a business. Okay, grocery and liquor, because this is the, obviously the one that's got lots of attention. We've been doing a stack of that stuff at MI3 and – there's more to come there. There's growth there. It's the second biggest, 1.05 billion. Depending on who you talk to, um, the numbers get can surge. Forecasts are quite can be quite higher than that. Um, but what's going on in grocery and liquor that you know is beyond the obvious? Yeah. So the big difference between grocery and liquor and retailers is the size of the prize. So the average commercial potential in the grocery and liquor category is a hundred million dollars. That's per organisation, is what you're saying, as, as an average. Yeah, per organization, per annum versus retail where it's around 34 million. Right. So 
the grocery and liquor sector has become the poster child for owned media leverage, um, partly because it was first to market and it's got that high revenue potential. Woolworths got there first with Cartology and they remain the biggest and most sophisticated owned media business in the country. Um, and some might say beyond that as well. You know, they've taken the smarts from established players in the US and Europe and then having Woolies X and Quantium reshaping their everyday rewards data to attract advertisers is crucial to their success. Um, and that data-led media solution model is something that others are starting to replicate. Big announcement this year was Coles Media. They're, they haven't quite hit their stride yet, but they're very powerful media platforms in the shape of magazine and radio and their, their store network. Um, so they will provide a threat. I think their announcement's imminent, by the way, uh, Jonathan. What they're doing, Coles is very close to, as I understand it, talking about what they're actually doing. So it'll be interesting to see how that differs with Cartology, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely one to watch there. And then Dan Murphy's and, and BWS were already in strong positions and they just got stronger with Endeavor Group launching their media business mix-in. And then Metcash IGA have found a way to create a sizable media network through standardizing their store formats, online and email assets. So the category is really strong. There just aren't as many players as the retail retail um, sector. Just before we move to the next category, Jonathan, the sector challenges there, there is a few. And, you know, depending on who you talk to, underlying, under under the, the, the industry, um, under the hood, if you like, there is a little bit of fear and loathing or concern that there is um, perhaps – more power and more money going into some of these big retail, these supermarkets at least, and so forth, as some of the brands talk about it cautiously. Is that something um, that you hear in and around the traps? And how does this funding model again work? See, the trade promotion stuff is a really big one in, in supermarkets, right? Yes, it is. And and I think, you, you know, the supermarkets have been careful not to upset the apple cart there. Merchandise teams are typically the custodians of supplier relationships, and it would be foolhardy to upset that where the relationships exist. So it's it's all about just educating the merchandise team on, on the value of media and understanding what they're leveraging and how to leverage it and working in tandem with the sales team and the marketing team, depending on the model that the business adopts and who, how best to deal with those partners. And, and that may involve one briefing with the trade marketing team and the brand marketing team briefing the host business together, um, which can work, or it may be about dividing and conquering, um, keeping things church and state, and carving off media for a sales team to sell and keeping the merchandise team an amount of in inventory to leverage as well. So there's different models that can work and it depends on, on the business and, and how they want to operate. Uh, okay, next category is telcos. Now, it's significantly, it's a quarter of what we're talking about really in, in grocery and liquor. Talk us through the telco sector in terms of owned media, which I think you say in the report, Telstra particularly has been quite, a, you know, head of the pack on, on this one for a while. So, yeah, Paul, look, the, the telco category is quite unique. As you've pointed out there, it is, you know, roughly a quarter of the size of grocery and liquor um, in terms of the total category size. That's $255 million in case we haven't mentioned that. $255 million. But the reason for that is just that there are so few players in the telco category. 
but when you look at the value of each business, uh, each business has a commercial potential that's second only to the grocery sector. So uh, whilst there's a, you know, a category of very few but very valuable players. And the other thing I guess of note around the category is that on average, it's only around 32% of their total owned media is actually available for commercial potential. So there's a lot of scope there for the telcos to um, do a lot more with the media that they have. And then in terms of some of the sort of sector developments, you know, the, the telcos aren't really any strangers to media monetization. You've seen Optus with their Optus Sport um, content, and that's really Optus behaving like a more traditional media owner and securing those kind of very lucrative content deals. And Telstra also, they've long been monetizing owned media. They have their JC Deco partnership where they're looking at monetizing their payphone screens. And at a more strategic level, their investments in, in Foxtel. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And so, so these businesses, uh, um, whilst there's only a few, they are very, very powerful. And you know, we're seeing that the telcos have a lot to offer from the physical retail environment. I think you know, when it comes to tech hardware, it's a very tactile thing. Um, people like to touch it, play with it, all that kind of stuff. So being a, a strong, having a strong in-store presence is really important and having the media to back that up is critical. And, and these are really powerful media assets that uh, other brands want to be able to tap into as well. And you're saying, uh, Angus, that, that the tel- most of the telcos are already doing that or that's where they can develop? Yeah, so a lot, obviously a lot of telcos are uh, focused on this space and I think what we'll see happening more and more is that the telcos will create even more advanced, sophisticated in-store environments for showcasing technology, for people to come into and, and experience technology. And that in itself will drive foot traffic, but it will also create owned media opportunities as well. Okay, so petrol and convenience, which is, um, I have to say, it's surprising me a little bit. It's not too far behind telcos in terms of its potential commercial value here. It's still sitting around 6% of the total owned media market at, what, $220-odd million. Um, what's happening in that sector and, and how much potential has it got? Yeah, so, I mean, as a sector, this area has gone through a huge amount of structural um, change over the last few years. You've seen Caltex rebranding to Ampol. Just recently, there was the announcement around Coles um, selling off its 700-plus express um, stations to Viva Energy. So there's been a lot of um, very big macro change happening um, in that space, which is perhaps taken their, their eye off the opportunity around owned media. But we, we see there being a, a really sizable opportunity for organizations in this space. This, each business has an average of nearly $30 million in, in commercial potential. And we're seeing the likes of mobile um, or 7-Eleven um, really at the top of that list. But you know, I think BP, Ampol, Coles, these businesses are not far behind and they have plenty of scope to leverage owned media. And it's an area that they've looked at, um, you know, for a while. And we've seen uh, things like forecourt media and pump media. These kinds of things has, have been out there in the, in the media landscape for a long time now. And, you know, I'd expect that they'll continue and probably become more sophisticated as more of that media becomes digitized. But I think where we'll see some development is going to be around the in-store experience. 
because historically, petrol and convenience stores, um, the in-store experience perhaps hasn't been that great. But what we're seeing now is more of these businesses um, look to really create more clean store environments, um, reducing some of the clutter in there, and focusing on the really high-value media that is within the store, so that in doing that, you're you're you know you're improving the customer experience, and you're still maintaining a focus on the owned media channels that really add value. So you know, and I think the other thing that we're seeing with petrol convenience stores uh, is these hybrid models for monetization and leverage. So being able to outsource media sales when it comes to um, forecourt media and that kind of thing, whilst at the same time being able to um, you know, commercially leverage your in-store and ambient media could be a really interesting model for, for the petro convenience space. Finance. Again, I think you, you talk in the report about finance and Combank's probably the, the, the leader or got the most potential is in the top five, number one ranked, I think. What's happening in the finance category and, and, and where are the banks at in terms of their owned media? They've got everything, right? They've got websites, apps, r- retail stores in terms of branches. There's a lot there for them to play with. Yeah, they do. You know, the banks have long recognized the importance of owned media from a customer experience perspective, you know, and a lot of them have created award winning owned media assets, particularly in the digital space. Uh, CBA certainly um, is is number one in that respect. But, you know, I think the likes of ANZ, Westpac, NAB, they're all right there as well. And these these businesses, whilst the commercial potential, uh, you know, isn't as high as some of the other categories, it's perhaps more the strategic potential that they have, which I think is really interesting for them. So, what we've seen in the category from the banks in particular is um, a very strategic use of their owned media. So from a marketing perspective, you know, when we were talking earlier about um, really starting from the inside out, starting with your owned media first and, and getting those communications optimized before you go out into your paid and earned media, we're seeing the, the, the banks doing that really well. Are they selling that inventory though, Angus? Are they selling anything to outside partners? Uh, no, it's not so much from a sales perspective. They're not driving revenue from it. And I think that's the key thing with this category. Um, they've taken a far more conservative approach to it and they are looking at it more from their own communications and how they're leveraging their own media first um, for their own messaging. Where we're seeing leverage is predominantly through rewards and offers type programs. And so with when you combine these large databases that they have through rewards programs with the data that they have on on people, you've got this incredibly powerful opportunity for the banking and finance sector. So, you know, we've worked with Amex globally um, for a number of years and we've seen their merchant offers program. This is an incredible program for brands to be involved with because um, Amex have the downstream financial data. They understand what their customers and their card members are actually doing and how they're responding to offers. So the media value that is being provided in there is being leveraged through commercial terms primarily. And it's about using that media value to attract more and higher value offers for the card members. So there has this lovely win-win whereby um, the card member is having a better experience, they're getting better offers um, from more brands, 
the merchants are able to provide these offers and they're seeing where the value is coming from and they're seeing the performance of it. So um, we're seeing a lot of growth in these sort of reward and loyalty type programs. Uh, and the final one we'll cover on this one, which is um, travel, and it's quite a mature category in terms of owned media, uh, you know, notwithstanding a pandemic, but um, what's happening in travel? And it's quite big, by the way. Sorry, I should mention this close enough to what's 488 million you've got on it, which is 12% of the total category. That's so quite significant, that one. Yeah, it is a very big category. I mean, as you rightly say, for the last couple of years, they've, they've had other things to worry about, but they are by far the most established owned media category. For decades, the airlines have understood partner appeal and a captive audience in a positive mindset is something worth leveraging. And notoriously low profit margins in the airline business of around 3% have been supplemented with this highly profitable owned media leverage where margins are around 90%. Um, so we've seen you know, Virgin, Qantas in this market have you know, media sales businesses for a number of years now. And airlines globally have created what they call ancillary revenue teams, um, which manage media sales for channels like in-flight entertainment, boarding passes, luggage carousel posters, itineraries, their apps, their loyalty programs, emails and websites. So they've got a, a lot of touch points to leverage around their ecosystem. Um, so it's also common for you know, core channels like magazines and airport lounge, digital screens to be managed and sold by external media sales partners. So they've got you know, a hybrid model happening there as well. So they're, they're really well established, you know, often seen as a paid media outlet in that regard because they're so well established. People are used to buying into them. Compare that to the hotel groups. I think the hotel groups have got a long way to go to catch up with airlines. You know, their biggest leverage opportunity are, are screens and, and loyalty reward partners. And they've, they also have a lot of loyal members like the airlines to, to leverage. So I think there's, there's scope for growth in that category, even though it is very well developed. Just as an aside, I, I wanted to zip back into the sort of channels. You mentioned them earlier about what they contribute, what the most popular owned media channels the most or those channels with the most um, commercial opportunity. You talk about bricks and mortar, you mentioned it, the, you know, it's actually the in-store formats, whether that's point of sale, posters, screens, about 32% to uh, bricks and mortar business. Publishing, which is custom magazines, catalogs, and I imagine websites as well, right? So everyone's doing, is everyone doing all of these things? And what are the channels that are emerging as the most popular? And I guess you'll say it depends on the category. Yes, if you have a look at the report, you'll see that it does differ by category that's one of the interesting things you know like petrol and convenience for example the the store environment dominates and websites tiny for for obvious reasons whereas something like finance the website is significant so it does vary by category when it comes to publishing custom magazines and catalogs contribute about 20 percent of total market revenue both the grocery and liquor um, and retail aggregator categories are still using print effectively, not only to communicate with customers, but also to, to allow partners to, to communicate their messages. And what we've seen is, you know, partners love the drug. They love the catalog drug um, and it's hard to wean them off it. During the pandemic, we did see some businesses cancel their print catalogs. Coles did that, right? 
yeah, and migrate that to digital. So that's something that some businesses are doing. But like I say, the partner brands still do like those those catalogs. When it comes to digital, email contributes the most revenue of all digital channels. A business, a business's ability to use that customer data and accurately target and report is extremely attractive to partners, um, and something the paid media market simply can't offer. I didn't do note on that email. Um, I found the found the, uh, the the chart you were talking about. Um, email for finance, though, is well, it's the biggest of all the categories. It's quite significant, isn't it? So, the email by the finance companies is used to message people and what just educate them or try and up and cross sell. Yeah, all of the above. Right. Keeping them informed. Email is, is you know, the sleeping giant of, of owned media, um, and we value it extremely, extremely highly. Now, one of the points you make in the report is organic social usage is on the decrease and is now typically sold in combination with paid social. What's going on there? What do you mean by that? So when it comes to social, it's a bit of a grey area as to whether or not it's classed as an owned media asset. Because for the most part, social is now very much a paid platform. I see what you mean. Right, right. So, yeah. So businesses might have a large uh, constituent of followers, which they can reach organically, supposedly reach organically, although we all know how difficult that can actually be in reality. But what we're seeing is that social is being leveraged more from a paid media perspective by retailers often on behalf of other brands that they have. And what they can do is apply their data layers across that so that the, the targeting can be optimized. And essentially, there'll be a hard marketing cost associated with the paid media posts that the retailer has to purchase. But then there'll be a margin on top of that to recognize the, um, the data that they are able to bring across it, the improvements they can get from that, and the fact that the retailer is the one who is actually managing the social posts. So that's what we mean by that, that shift in, in the way social is being leveraged. What are the key watchouts? What do, does the, all companies need to be thinking about um, and watch for in this owned media category? Yeah, I think the big one is that we're, we're predicting an increase in the number of non-retail businesses that are, that are starting to join the party and leverage their owned media. Globally, we have seen organizations transform entire business units through their own media leverage, and we expect that trend to continue in the coming years. More and more businesses taking advantage of the gold mine that they're sitting on and increasing the sophistication around how they leverage their own media for commercial gain, be that direct for cash or indirect as as part of representing value within commercial deals. So that's the big one. Like Angus was saying, data-driven solutions are going to remain pivotal for sustained success. Customer data is the secret source for own media leverage. It allows those businesses to differentiate from the paid media market um, through targeting, through reporting, um, and campaign optimization based on customer reactions. So that's a big one. We expect the retail media market explosion to continue. You know, the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of the management consultants write about this sector. Um, We've seen a lot of tech providers enter it. So we we expect that to continue. And following on from that, you know, the MarTech platforms will begin to gain more traction. So being 
you know, rather than having disparate spreadsheets around the business and different people using different rates and values, bringing all that together from a physical media perspective as well as a digital media um, is something that software can really help with and, and make some good efficiencies there. And then finally, we see an increase in the number of loyalty programs actually leveraging media value. So one of the big trends we're noticing is CFOs starting to question the loyalty program outlay versus the return and good loyalty schemes you know, that attract, retain and grow customers might cost more to, to manage um, and customer expectations are, are growing and expect it to be personalized and, and relevant to them. So and that comes at a cost. So, you know, having, having offers and leveraging those, your media value with partners is one of the smarter, more sustainable models to, to level up that ROI. Right, so finally, guys, before we wrap this up, I uh, just want to get a sense on the methodology here. So how, how there's some re- really important numbers, some, some good mapping of, of the market. How do we get there? Yeah, okay. So the first thing to, to clarify is that owning media channels is distinct from leveraging those media channels commercially. So this report and ranking focuses on those businesses that are leveraging their owned media ecosystem in some way commercially. And like we've mentioned, that could be direct, where money is charged to partners for using their media, which is typical in retail and grocery sectors, or that could be indirect revenue, which is when value is represented to partners in commercial arrangement, for example, with sponsorship partners Um, loyalty reward program. So that's common in the telco and financial sectors. So the numbers that are in the report um, refer to the commercial potential, which is the maximum potential that a business could procure from leveraging their own media. I now think that we will watch with great interest uh, the next 12 months and and follow up on some of these data points and and projections because... um, as I said earlier, uh, very hard to get a fix on this sector and, and we've got one. So well done for that. I'm sure we'll get an update on uh, owned media in the next report, uh, which will be, I, I don't know what you guys are planning there, but, but thanks for joining Angus and Jonathan. Thanks, Paul. Pleasure. Thanks, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.